Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombos. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. I'm going to tell you all a, a movie nerd horror story. Ooh. I, uh, it, was, it was a Thursday night, and I had programmed for my strange, adventurous, perverted movie friends to watch... <laughs> A semi-pornographic remake of Dr. Caligari that I had just gotten fresh in the mail. And everyone canceled. They all bailed on <laughs> One at oh, a time. No. <laughs> Until all that was left was a couple that I had not programmed that movie for and who were not prepared for such a raunchy, <laughs> oh, no. upsetting no. horror film. I- I'm going to need excuses. Where was everybody last Thursday? What were y'all doing? <laughs> um, I was at Tim Heidecker's comedy show. The Great excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. Like, the beginning was funny. It was, like, his normal, like, comedy, like, stand-up stuff where he's, like, this ultra-conservative Republican guy doing really bad jokes, and it's so funny. <laughs> and then the second half, like, Vic Berger was there, and they played... They had, like, a band called The Good Band... The Very Good Band, <laughs> and they just played songs, and, like, some of the songs were, like, funny, like, hot piss on the tip of my lips, like... <laughs> But then some of them were just like, you know, about having like a bad day or going for a walk. It was weird, but it was really fun. Yeah. My buddy went to that show and he said it was a lot of fun. But yeah, I think he takes his music stuff pretty seriously now. The only time he's sincere ever. It's hard to... There was... He did a cover of Bob Dylan's Lenny Bruce. Mm. And I thought it was fake. And then I looked it up after and I'm like, holy shit, Bob Dylan had a series of like Christian albums in the eighties. And he wrote a really bad song about the comedian Lenny Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, when you go to like a comedy show, like you can't tell what's real or not. So that kind of blew my mind. He has this song from an album he released recently called sirens of Titan. And it's about him, like his high school and early college years. And it's kind of this like nostalgic, like very sweet song about like, a young male identity forming and kind of like reforming and i don't know i thought it was very touching actually he's such a weird guy yeah so that that was a good good excuse great excuse excuse. yeah Um, so was y'all excuse my i didn't really have one uh, (laughs) but my excuse is kind of tied to hannah's excuse so i actually on thursday night i saw the line to uh the tim heidecker show because I uh, saw a Wildwood screening. Um, they were showing Sans Soleil, which is a film by Chris Marker. I believe it was uh, released in 1983. I'm not sure because Luke is sitting on my notes. Um, <laughs> but it is a... So he also directed La Jete, which is the movie that inspired The Twelve Monkeys. I really love La Jete. It's very interesting. It's like a series of still photographs and there's a small, a short segment of film so I, was, I really wanted to see this and it's like a kind of collage documentary of all of the like different times and places so there's footage compiled from japan and africa and iceland um there's also footage of this guy's like synthesizer art projections which are like which he calls like the zone and there are these like shifting gradient kind of color uh processings of video and it's 
told through like the filter. There's this narrative filter of these letters from a filmmaker to a woman and the woman is reading these letters or like reading about the letters that this man sent her, which is a fictional narrative. These are, I think these are all like Chris Marker's kind of observations and ruminations. Um, and it, it's two hours long and I was vacillating between being completely transfixed and like falling asleep and thinking <laughs> I am going to be trapped in this, like thinking I had somehow escaped the like rift of time and I was going to be trapped in the movie theater for the rest of my life. But it, yeah, it was really, really fascinating. And I'm glad that I got to see it in the theater. So Brittany, when I found out you were going to Tim, I, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. To, <laughs> I have, I can see one of these two movies. And the door's been of, cracked. Yeah, exactly. And then once I found out that both of y'all weren't going to be there, <laughs> and that I would have the house to myself. And my buddy actually came over before the Tim Heidecker show. And we were like partying a little bit. And then once he left and I, I know Hannah was at the movie, I'm like, well, shit, I, I just like played music for a few hours because we don't have anyone on the other side of the house right now. Um, Cause Brandon was like, you, you sure you don't want to come alone? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to, uh, I don't know. I have precious uh, alone time these days. So yeah. Well, we'll shift around the movie night so we can watch some more movies together. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't have to watch the Calgary porn alone. <laughs> And somebody was with It was you. just a weird mismatch. Like, this is not I would, the I really audience I would have invited it. over for this. Yeah. Uh, it was just funny. Do they enjoy it, though? Yeah. Yeah. As far oh, as I could tell. As far as, yeah. They're like, oh, that was great. Thanks. Yeah. We'll, I was like, we'll this is a guided tour of the inside of my mind. <laughs> and they were Welcome. like, that was fun. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. What else have y'all been watching? Oh, I've watched a couple things. We went to the theater the other day and saw um, Talk to Him. Talk to, Talk to me. Talk to me. So good. You saw it? Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I every time I think I'm tired of the like horror as metaphor for grief and substance abuse and like basically the hereditary and all the films that that have kind of influenced. Every time I think that I'm like kind of over it, a new one comes out that's like really good. And this was like a very good example of the genre. And it was particularly violent and nasty. And uh, the central like seance scene with the uh, young boy where he smashes his head. It was one of the most brutal things I've seen all year. Yeah, it was hard to look at it. Poor little thing. I just like couldn't see it. Couldn't watch. My head was in my hands, like inter uh, eyes peeking out through interlocked fingers. Like my. Whenever I go to a scary movie in the theater, if something is about to happen, I I have to plug my ears for like a safety thing. And Uh I just I was just like buried in my seat the whole time. I thought it did a really good job with the characters, too, that Mm -hmm. made it stand out. Like, I actually felt like they were lived in people and I was kind of invested in them making it out of this situation. And it did not happen for (laughs) for many of them. Yeah. Um, I thought the lead actress, especially, she was really good. Yeah, she was ve- like a very accurate portrayal of someone who is clearly hurt and hurting, and is also like kind of pulling people into her like gravitational field in a way that's like really, really unhealthy. And you feel you really, really feel for her, and you're also like, like, girl, you are. Yeah, this she is had to hit a lot up. of different notes in yeah. that performance. I think she hit it out the park. It's also like really efficient in setting that stuff up. Like 
it kind of jumps in the story very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the like seance stuff, you know, this is a movie about an evil object. It's this like ceramic hand that's sort of reaching out towards you, kind of like a handshake mm-hmm. yeah. uh, motion. And the concise, like, this is what the hand does. This is what you say to get it to interact with you. Now let's jump into it and see it work a few times. Yeah. It's like super efficient. You meet the characters very quickly. And that lets you get to the good stuff. Uh, and then sort of on the back end, they start adding layers of like yeah. grief and trauma that they're working through yeah. um, in very unhealthy ways through this magical device. It was very good. Yeah, it was one of the better horror movies I've seen this year. It also touched, I mean, we, you just talked about the grief metaphor stuff. It also touches on my favorite horror topic, which is like social media evil. Yeah. And like the scariest moments in that movie are like, it's not that the teens are communicating with the dead through these seances and bringing the demons onto the other side of the world. It's that all of their friends are egging them on to do it with cameras. And like the attention on social media is like driving them to like make worse mistakes. It reminded me a lot of the stupid, like the Tide Pod challenge and stuff like that. And like stuff I've seen the internet where people just jumping on cars was like Mm -hmm. a thing for a while. And, yeah, how social media is kind of this like mind virus. Yeah, I like I like that stuff too. Yeah, especially in that opening. It has a great opening scene mm-hmm. where someone is going through some things and all these kids are just filming it and just the horror of seeing the cameras up and no one's having any empathy. It just like breaks your heart. Yeah, it's ice cold. Yeah. So that, that was a really good one. I definitely recommend that. And I also watched a pretty bad... A movie on Netflix called The Outlaws with Adam Devine oh, no. and Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> um, oh. I don't know if anyone here is a fan of Adam Devine, like, like workaholics. I, I like him too. I've always he's found great him funny. in Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, his work on Gemstones is like the one thing I actually like. I, I actually to. wanted to see that movie, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. And he he came to uh, New Orleans and he did a. I saw his like stand up set a few years back, and he's like very funny live. So this guy, okay, let me check it out. And it's like. I think it actually does have some good laughs if you're an Adam Devine fan, but it's not a great movie. But there's one scene in particular that, like, I li- I had to pause, like, stop the movie because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gag. I I don't know if y'all are gonna find this funny, but you know, Pierce Brosnan and his wife are like bank robbers, and you know his wife gets kidnapped, and they have to go steal five million dollars to get her back. Anyway. They're like, okay, you know, um, Adam Devine's like, we're going to need costumes. And then it cuts. <laughs> the next scene, he walks into the bank in a Shrek outfit. <laughs> and I just like, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I had to stop. I was like in stitches. So I did not watch this movie, but I did see that scene. And it is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> he like funny. robs a bank in a Shrek. And he does the whole accent and everything. Oh, no. And then they have a chase uh, with the police like through a graveyard so they're like running over all these gravestones and he's like I think my grandmother's buried here and just like I don't know it's it's a stupid you know happy Madison Adam Sandler kind of Netflix comedy but uh it had a few moments that made me really laugh out loud so if you're a fan of Adam Devine I don't know it's gotten some like really negative reviews like I think Ebert's side gave it zero stars. I'm like <laughs> that's not justified. Like, come on. Yeah, I think have it's, some, have it's a like soul. hard for um like comedies to get good reviews. Yeah. Like, can you think of the last time there was like a comedy that like 
had good reviews. Barbie and Star. And stuff. Well, but but especially something like that, like a dumb Adam yeah. Sandler kind of comedy, right. like a a turd comedy. Yeah, like yeah. Dirty Grandpa. We all enjoyed, and it felt like a dirty thing to be into because it was yeah. like so poorly reviewed. I love a good stupid comedy yeah. film. Yeah, it definitely fits that. Notably, uh, Barbie had a fart opera they had to remove from the movie because uh, really? the studio was like what? it's too dumb. Uh, <laughs> damn it! But it probably uh, would have gotten like harsher treatment if it had yeah. a fart yeah. opera in it so uh, i don't know if that was the right choice or not give me the greta released. cut <laughs> yeah unedited yeah uh cut for sure but anyway so that's what i've been checking out what about you Brittany? i watched i was like my parents have showtime and i was like visiting last weekend and i was just scrolling through and they had a movie called grizzly 2 revenge oh yeah that's like <laughs> a sequel that just came out like two years ago but they filmed it in the 80s it was horrible (laughs) and it was the weirdest experience i've had in a long time with a movie where it starts off in the beginning it was like filmed in 1983 and i didn't know the backstory of this movie so like whenever you looked on the guide it's like 1983 grizzly 2 and i've never seen the first grizzly it's great actually like as far as like there's a few movies that are like jaws except with Uh blank instead of a shark so like like piranha, piranha um I'm blanking. Alligator. Alligator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So of those, that one's basically like Jaws with a bear instead of a shark. And it's very fun. I was like anticipating that it to be good because I love stuff like that. So it starts off. I'm watching. I'm like, okay, 1983. And I'm like, holy shit. There's George Clooney, Laura Dern, and Charlie Sheen. Wow. And they all die within the first like five minutes. (laughs) What? And then... I start to see like shots where I'm like, whoa, this is really vivid. (laughs) Like, is this like an extreme digital restoration where it would be like that grainy, like 80s look? And Mm -hmm. then there would be like a drone shot of a forest that looks like it came out of like National Geographic this year. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then there was, um, so basically some poachers kill a baby bear and the mama bear finds out and she's like 15 feet tall and she starts wreaking havoc on this national park and killing campers. And there, there's going to be this big concert at the national, at this national park. So the folks who are putting it on are like, someone has to get rid of this bear before this big concert because we can't lose all this money, blah, blah, blah. But there's a, there was like a lot of patchy, like stuff that looked brand new and the stuff that looked old. And then for the concert, It was like a horrific 30 minutes of just really weird music that didn't make sense. And it would be like a cheesy 80s girl group. And then the crowd would be like the crowd from a Taylor Swift concert. And it was freaking me out. But what happened was this movie was filmed unfinished in 1983, never got released. And someone picked it up in 2020. And was like, oh, let's finish it. So they just put in like modern patchy scenes to finish the movie. Mm -hmm. So then it was released in 2020. And it's horrible. I I really (laughs) want to see it. You sold me on it. Okay. (laughs) At your own risk. Um, Not enough bear. Yeah. That's unfortunate. It was more just like, it was, I can't even, it was just weird. It made me feel like icky when I was watching it. Did they update the bear at all? No. Like, that'd be crazy if you had like 1983 bear and then Right, exactly. Yeah. There definitely seems like they could have had more fun with it. They could have, yeah, put more money into the bear. 
revamping Grizzly. So that was bizarre, but yes, give it a watch just for <laughs> the experience. Um, I also watched Anna Nicole Smith's uh, You Don't Know Me documentary that came out on Netflix this year. I watched that. Oh, it pissed me off um, yeah. a lot. Like, I love Anna Nicole Smith. I think she was fantastic. And it's like, they only have like a few pe a handful of people interviewed on this. And it's all people that like used her. Right. And then they're trying to paint this picture of her that, I don't know, I was looking for it to be more about her life. And it, it kind of is like, oh, she, you know, married this rich guy and she had success for a little bit. And then the rest of her life was drugs. And I'm like... I mean, not until, like, towards the end of her life. Like, they didn't really... I'm like, she had a lot. She had her own reality show. She had, you know, this, like, modeling career. She was in films. She was an... Yeah, she was an icon. Like, they kind of didn't spend... I thought it was going to be about her life, but it was more about, like, her drugs and this, like, depression and... I I mean, it was basically, like, a TMZ kind of documentary. Yeah, it just felt kind of icky. It did. I didn't like it. She had a, me I off. mean, she had a very tragic life, like losing her son, Daniel, and everything. Yeah, um, it's pretty fucked up. I know. So, but yeah, it's just it's just sad because like so many people used her, like her mom, her dad. Her dad tried to sleep with her whenever she reconnected with him, like in the nineties when she was, you know, living high life at the Playboy Mansion, and Howard K. Stern tried to say that like Danny Lynn was his and. We totally oh, yeah, wasn't all that. oh my god i was like jesus christ like leave her alone and she's dead now it kind of reminds me of marilyn monroe it's like i would just let her die i started what well, i had to turn it off after like 15 minutes but it uh-huh. reminds me it was on netflix too after we had watched blonde a while back oh. there was like all these like different marilyn monroe documentaries popping up and one of them on netflix was about these like secret letters and it was exploring the conspiracy that she was murdered and hadn't died and i was like why does this exist it's cool and like yeah all these like people like speculatively talking about what if she was murdered this is how it would have happened i'm like why does this exist and this is like so terrible yeah uh yeah it just feels gross it just felt like that and they had a woman who used to strip with her and was like oh and i was also her secret lesbian lover and blah blah and i'm like oh my god like it, it was just like you know, she was open with her sexuality, but it's almost like, are you trying to like out her while she's dead? Like it was yeah. just very bizarre. Right. I I will say there is one of those kind of documentaries I did enjoy that I watched a couple weeks ago about Jody Aries. You remember she was the when they killed her ex boyfriend. It was a huge case, like a tabloid thing. Yeah, t- she was like very attractive. And she went and like had sex with her ex boyfriend and stabbed him a bunch of times. I vaguely remember this. But anyway, the documentary was like these two women that only were shared a cell with her for like a couple months. But the whole documentary is their experience with her and how they fell in love with her and that they like watched her shower. And then the two people like went on to like marry after they got out of prison and they wrote letters to her and got her name tattooed on them all that I was like this is so bizarre like the idea of a documentary about two people falling in love with a murderer because they shared a cell with them for a couple months and it was like a big like 
thing advertised on Hulu. I was just like, why? Yeah, true crime in like, general is a yeah. fucking sick it's genre. It's so icky. I mean, yeah. why do we need a documentary about it? Like, this is just like an article in TMZ or something. Mm-hmm. It was. Daily it Mail was an article in TMZ away. in Hulu documentary form. It's so wild. Yeah, it's, but I was compelled. But that stuff is very <laughs> gross. <too>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's really sickening because it happens to people that were used extensively when they were alive so to like continue to use them after they're dead for like decades is like i don't know if there's any like sense of people having spirits or ghosts it's like we're continuously mangling marilyn monroe and we'll use her like until the end of time and it's really horrifying that's what i thought blonde was getting at I'm just saying. Yeah, but Blonde also did it itself. So. <laughs> right. Very complicated. Uh, no. <laughs> like the Barbie movie, very complicated. No, not like the Barbie movie. <laughs> so I'll just, I know I talked about Sans Soleil, but there was one other film that I wanted to talk yeah. about briefly. And it's kind of connected to Sans Soleil. So I watched a movie today, actually, directed by Sue Frederick called Sink or Swim. So this is a filmmaker that... I, I had never heard of before. I just kind of like her name just popped up as I was searching Letterbox, mm-hmm. And Sink or Swim is this. I'm not sure how autobiographical it is. I know that it's based on an event from Sue Frederick's life, but it's kind of this like impressionistic autobiographical kind of collection of monologues. Um, about a young girl's relationship with her father and how it develops over time. Um, and the the story that inspired it was uh, Sue Frederick's father teaching her how to swim by just throwing her in the pool. And, you know, it's like sink or swim, you figure it out. So it's only like 48 minutes long. It's very short. It's composed of like 26 different like short segments And it begins at, like, at birth. So the first image is, like, a bunch of sperm swimming around and, like, going into an egg and then the cells dividing within an egg. And then the first kind of monologue is about um, Athena being born from Zeus. So those image that story and those images are tied together. And it just takes these kind of small moments from a girl's life over time from childhood to adulthood and the father figure is this like anthropologist he's very involved in his work and he leaves the family Um, and it's these really like small intimate moments and I just really love movies about complicated relationships between daughters and fathers it reminded me a lot of after son although that relationship is like i mean he's just clearly this really loving father who is having a hard time um this is very different like the father is very cold and kind of disconnected but it made me cry a lot and (laughs) i i thought it was really really beautiful and like just the moments that are chosen are very poetic um, the the images are beautiful and I don't know I, I guess if if any of that would be sounds interesting I would recommend watching it because it, it really it takes no time at all and I'm very excited to continue watching her films uh, yeah it was really beautiful <laughs> that, that reminds me that's kind of like um, 
at work, we had an inspection on Thursday where they have to inspect the entire warehouse and Eddie cleans the bathrooms. I know this is like a <laughs> <laughs> and he, I'm leaning in. Yeah, where yeah. is this going? No, no he, clean, <laughs> he cleans the bathrooms and he uses like a shit ton of bleach because it's like a warehouse bathroom. And the guy that does the inspection, Bart, he like doesn't even need to check the bathroom because he just smells the right. bleach. He's like, oh, the bathrooms are good. And that's kind of how I feel when I like walk in after you've watched a movie and I see you're like obviously been crying. I don't need to ask you how the movie was. Like, <laughs> I already know that right. it was like very moving and touched you. I love yeah. that analogy. Yeah. yeah. Just like, so that was right. like right. the bleached bathroom moment. Yes. Yeah. I right. just walked in. I was like, I didn't, I don't even need to ask. She loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great. And, and it, you know, it's ex- experimental in kind of the same way. I mean, not the same way that Sansoleil is, but I see those two. Like James and James also watched Sansoleil, and we were talking about it in the context of other films like um, *Heart of the Dog* and *My Winnipeg*, and how like Sansoleil is so long and it's so like dense and kind of it doesn't have much of a heart in it, even though it's a, a really interesting. I think it's a compelling movie, but. Heart I of the Dog, it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, James did not care for it. And Heart of the Dog and My Winnipeg have a lot of heart in them. And yeah. I think Sink or Swim is much more in line with like uh, Laurie Anderson and Guy Madden. And yeah, I just thought it was really, really beautiful. So, Brandon, what have you been watching? Well, speaking of the best cleaned bathrooms in the city, <laughs> I went to the AMC Elmwood the other day. Ooh. Oh, we talked about this last night. Yeah, we were night. chatting about the bathrooms. <laughs> Whether or not they're clean. I like the bathrooms. I, I think they are not clean. <laughs> I don't like the bathrooms anywhere. It's kind of yeah. where I fall down on that. Gets a little crusty. Yeah, it's, because, it's because we always go to the theater very early in the morning. Okay, you're getting them, their best self. So, yeah. like, when I use the bathroom before a movie, it's like no one's in there it's quiet it's clean it's peaceful but you go like you saw what ninja turtles with a bunch of children in the middle around. of the day yeah. yeah that's a different but you james you and i go at the same time and <laughs> i find the the bathrooms to be disgusting and i will say that my, my barometer is like most of the time when i'm in a public bathroom i'm not aware of the fact that i'm in a public bathroom i'm not like like i don't use a toilet cover i don't like use um a paper towel when i'm touching things it's just like i'm you know yeah but when i go to amc i'm like i do not want to touch anything the inside of the handle at the bathrooms closest <laughs> to the concession stand has probably germs on it that have been undiscovered right. by science. so much like butter <laughs> right it's yeah, fucking gross hot yeah. sludgy butter i think it's because if there's a place where a lot of kids go yeah kids are gross yeah. like they shit on the walls they're peeing on everything except the toilet itself. But that also, you're screwing up because don't use that bathroom. I don't. Where you got to use is the theaters in the back. I agree. But when I close my eyes Wait. and think of that handle, I can shiver like in total <laughs> disgust. Yeah. Because I've touched it before and I regret Especially it. Especially <laughs> now. Like I, I did notice the last few times at AMC, there's like way more kids just because of Barbie yeah. and Ninja yeah. Turtles. Little Mermaid. Yeah. And Little Mermaid too. And we went and yeah, there's a lot more germs out there. Well, I did go see Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem with uh, a bunch of dads around my age and a bunch of kids in tow. It was like, uh, you know, two or three dads in charge of like eight kids a piece. Like it was like these large parties. 
Yeah. Um, did you get the green apple slush with blue raspberry oh, I did pop rocks? Try that. I did not know okay. that was a thing. <laughs> they had like a cocktail for it at McGuffin's. Yeah, McGuffin's. Oh, McGuffin's. <laughs> I missed that. I don't know if that same bartender is still at McGuffin's, but he hooks it up, dude. <laughs> yeah. He gave us some tall Long Island iced teas <laughs> when we saw um, Parallel Mothers. <laughs> that's why I couldn't get through the movie. Yeah. I was too drunk. <laughs> and that's why oh I was God. sobbing profusely. <laughs> I did not get drunk at Ninja Turtles. It was two in the <laughs> afternoon. I was surrounded by Damn children. It. That's no excuse. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I did have fun, though. It was probably the best one I've seen besides the original, which we wow. just discussed last episode. I actually am going to now rewatch all of the ones I have seen and the other ones I haven't. So I'm, I'm going to watch all 10 Ninja Turtles movie before this year's over. Hell yeah. Damn, I'm committing Brandon. to this right now. That's awesome. But yeah, it's got that Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse animation style but i think pushed in a much grosser direction cool uh it's got the same sludge as the back of the handle on the bathroom door <laughs> by the concession stands of the mc elmwood uh it, it just reminded me of that like 90s nickelodeon style of animation where everything is just like gross and gooey and like mm-hmm. just it's disgusting and like little kids love that cool. kind of like Rin and stimpy exactly that era like yeah. rugrats was always gross yeah. oh, i miss I feel that. like i see like flies kind of flying everywhere yeah yeah it's got kind of a stop motion look to it as well. It's very teen oriented in a way that I, I don't know the other Ninja Turtles movies lean into. Like usually teenager in these movies means that they're cool to younger kids. Like yeah. they skateboard and they use slang uh, that like little kids would like look up to them. And this one being a teenager is like just dorky. Like the main thing they're trying to do, they're trying to save New York City from these other mutants, but they're also trying to save prom so that they can go to prom, <laughs> oh which is very like teen behavior. Yeah. Um, I also would say it's got my favorite Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score I've ever heard in one of their collaborations. Really? Like, cool. It's got an industrial backbeat to it that every time I hear a Trent Reznor score, I'm just like, anybody could make these like washes of sounds. He's a very talented musician. I'm sure there's a lot of layering to that, but like... It doesn't sound like Trent Reznor to me. Even though there are ambient Nine Inch Nails albums, I still don't feel like they sound like that end of Nine Inch Nails even. It's just like these like overbearing droning synth sounds. And this one, there's actually like an 80s Nine Inch Nails drum beat to it sometimes. Cool. cool. And uh, there's also a ton of hip hop needle drops and stuff. Very cool. The movie's just fun and gross and delightful. Uh, I wanted to bring it up though, because it's a bridge between our last topic and our topic of today. I just want to report for anyone who really has their eyes open to product placement right now. There are multiple scenes of the turtles eating pizza in this movie, and every single one includes the Pizza Hut logo. Yep. Nice. Like the Pizza Hut is on the screen in this one. They, they are won like again. Zooming in. Oh, yeah. The war is over. <laughs> and also, the character of Splinter, their rat sensei, is voiced by Jackie Chan, and he's very funny. He gets a lot of good laugh lines. It's honestly the clearest I've ever heard him spoke English, which I don't mean as like an insult or anything. Like I I only speak one language, but the man has been speaking English for as long as I've been alive and he's never been particularly good at it. And for some reason in this movie, it's like very smooth and I think gets across his, um, his actual sense of humor, which you get more in his like Cantonese language movies, like it comes across in this as well. Like he's actually like landing jokes in a way that feel very like intentional and not just someone like using his voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's a great Jackie Chan performance if you're um, into him. 
And that is what we are talking about for the rest of the episode is Jackie Chan. That's right. I think mostly his early career, like we're talking about his like breakouts just before he started starring in American comedies. Yeah. So early, in fact, the first movie we're talking about, his name is spelled G-A-C-K-Y. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, if y'all don't mind, I want to do a little place setting reading from this book I bought a few months ago. Oh, perfect. Called Sex and Zen and a Bullet in the Head, which is an encyclopedia of Hong Kong movies that came out in the mid 90s, like right before the industry just completely tanked after the um, the reintegration of Hong Kong into mainland China. Uh, this is like when the industry was like the coolest action movies being made. So this whole book is just this like every action star you can name from Hong Kong. They each get their own chapter and like all these little snippets and stuff. But Jackie Chan gets like the biggest stretch in the book. Uh, and I think this paragraph, I think, really sells why he would get that much real estate. It cannot be said too many times. Nobody on this earth makes movies like Jackie Chan. He manages to combine a disarming charm with ferocious athleticism to create the finest physical action sequences ever put on film by anyone, anywhere, period. Dizzying physical stunts are choreographed and rehearsed by Jackie and his cadre of stuntmen, then performed in adrenaline-soaked exuberance on the razor's edge of peril. Intensely serious about his craft, Jackie consistently pushes the action envelope farther than anyone has or can. Singer James Brown may be a legend, but he is not the hardest working man in show business. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. We have a lot to live up to if we're going to, you know, (laughs) copy that kind of hyperbole, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Me too. And all that's coming up to you right Right now. now. Okay, Jackie, uh, when I first saw your movies, and this was way back when in the early, I was just blown away by them. I saw Drunken Master, I saw Armor of God, I saw these films and they just, uh, they were incredible movies. And so I I read a bit about you and I found out about you going to the the Peking Opera School, or just the Opera School, which sounds to us like, you know, we think that's where you go to learn to sing, but this is the kind of tradition of uh, Peking dramatic arts and the martial arts that go with it. How old were you when you when you? I was uh, six and a half. Six and a half, and what kind of regime was it? What kind of uh, training did you do there? We get up five o'clock in the morning, and uh, first is a run, run without bouncing, just round like little feet, kind of yeah, really keeping da, it long. I run with two cups full of water, and you, if you drop the water, the teacher will whip you. Then after that, upside down, you know, handstand one hour. One hour on your handstand. Yeah. Doing a handstand. One hour and handstand. After that, and then punch and kick and routine. The routine will be like, um, just like a karate hapkido, you have a mm, like this. And Chinese will be like, bah. and whatever we, we do the most difficult pose, you know, stop. Then everybody stop like 20 minutes. Now. Yeah. After 20 minutes, then go. Then we stop. Another 20 minutes. Now, was that fun or was it just horrible? Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> fun. You try it. No, you, you try to stand like this for 20 minutes. I picked Jackie Chan as a topic because James and I were watching Rush Hour recently, which was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I just uh, really liked Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. That movie did not age well, but I knew that James had seen like a lot of his older films. And I realized that I really had no experience with his Hong Kong films or any of his early, you know, like U.S. hits. I have really only seen the first two Rush Hours and uh, Shanghai Noon, the Owen Wilson. And seeing as he's going to be or he is in the uh, Ninja Turtles movie, I thought, you know, now is as good a time as ever. 
Um, so I don't have a deep well of knowledge about Jackie Chan's um, history, but I, I'm going to try to give like kind of a brief synopsis. Um, he started acting in the 60s. He was in a couple of roles as a child. I think he was like eight in his first film. And then throughout the 70s, like the early 70s, he got a few more roles. Um, he is a trained uh, martial artist. So he was like doing some extra work and some stunt double work. And then he landed his first, I think his first like kind of successful lead role was in 1978 uh, in Snake in the Eagle's Shadow that also established like the Kung Fu comedy. And then the same year he was in Drunken Master, which was my pick. Uh, and that was his like first big success. So in throughout the 80s, he became more and more popular as a um, Hong Kong action star but he didn't really become popular in North America and the United States until like the mid 90s. I think in the early 90s, he, there was like some demand in the home video market for his films. And then uh, in 1995, another film that we're going to talk about, Rumble in the Bronx, which is his first like big hit in the United States. So... I think we, we picked some films that really kind of encapsulate his rise to stardom from like Drunken Master until like the third iteration of his police story series. So it is kind of like early Jackie Chan. So I picked Drunken Master, which is a story about Wang Fei Hung, who is a like a real figure in Chinese history who's a Chinese medicine practitioner and revolutionary and we watched the the English dubbed version of this film which is uh extremely silly he's Freddie Wong and he's this kind of ne'er-do-well hooligan he's the son of a kung fu master and he's like hitting on women in town and like beating people up and he gets into big trouble and his father makes him train under this kung fu master beggar so who is trained in like the drunken arts so he just like really uh rides him into the ground like makes him do these like torturous training regimens and eventually uh jackie chan's character runs away from uh, beggar so and runs into this other kung fu master who's thunder leg and i think tiger leg and he's he's really good at kicking he's a kicky guy <laughs> and he kind of humiliates freddie wong and he goes crawling back to to beggar so to like really master his art um i really wish that i could have watched this in the like the chinese version the and I want to know, like, how faithfully the spirit of that film was rendered in the American version, because it is just like, there's a really a lot of like, gross out, like, fart ass humor there at one point, I like, think that's I think that's yeah, true to yeah, that right. text. <laughs> like, I know that there's like, I mean, there's a there's a scene where Jackie Chan, like, 
uh, hits this guy's head into dog shit. And that was obviously <laughs> like a part of the original. I just but some of the lines like don't I don't think they translate exactly because there is like a scene where Jackie Chan is fighting someone and he's like, you're going to be a man with no ass. Yeah, it's like almost a literally translating <laughs> right. instead of like I, finding and he the does like, English colloquialism. I couldn't stop laughing. He's like, and that move is called fart and face. Yeah, <laughs> I thought right. that, that stuff was hilarious. Yeah. I like the overdub. I think it's pretty clear the original's humor was equally broad. Like, yeah. there's a scene where he steals a meal from a restaurant and eats like as much stuff as he can off the menu with no intention to pay for it. Yeah. And then as punishment, the waiters hold him kind of hostage and then beat the food yeah. out of his stomach. Oh my God. That was so disgusting. Up one dish at a time so as they hit his stomach. Yeah. Like that's pretty fucking broad. You yeah. Know? And I do think, cause I had some questions like there's a character that has these like freckles that are painted on him. Another has these like fake teeth, big mm-hmm. teeth. And it does seem like we were talking in the, intro about like adam sandler and kind of these broad right. stupid american comic this is like the cantonese kind of broad yeah like racial humor mixed with like you know gross out fart jokes and right. puke and but I, I still find it it's very funny right. yeah the teeth and the freckles it was so uncomfortable for me because i was like this feels so racist like uh-huh. this is what these were like american caricatures too but this was like fully a Chinese, a Hong Kong film. Like it was not intended for American audiences. So it's like that it is like a part of that production. But but like seeing that and being most familiar with like broad Chinese caricatures from like movies in the United States, it, it just made me feel icky. Um, but I don't, know, I, I don't think it was as fast paced as the other Jackie Chan films that we saw later but I I thought the choreography in this film was really beautiful and I think it progressed as the film went along and as you know as he's learning where like at the end when he's mastered the techniques of these eight drunken gods it's when he's doing his like kind of um drunken sway it's really dancerly. I don't know. Like, and it has that rhythm that all the other Jackie Chan films from Hong Kong have of like, like very rhythmic timed, you know, jabs. And it was really, really impressive. I'd say it's actually like more refined than any of the other movies. Yeah. Like, I think of him as kind of a scrappy fighter, even though yeah. everything's rigidly planned out and sharp and precise in the other movies. They feel like someone desperate to get away. Like, he's not like an invincible superhero character in the rest of the movies. He's like a guy who's just good at fighting. Mm -hmm. And there's like a scrappy street brawl, like bar fight kind of feel to it. And then this one, it feels like very refined, like basics, martial arts, like the actual artistry of martial arts, Mm -hmm. where it's like very clear movements, precisely done, held uh, there's a character that play this woman who plays his aunt, uh, who yeah. oh assaults him in the market, and like the angles that she pulls with her body, and like the smooth transitions between movements. It's like okay, this is martial arts perfected. Yeah. So like, yeah, the interesting thing about the movie maybe is the tension between how goofy and like gross the humor is, because that's the broadest humor in any of these films. 
but also like how refined and like finely tuned the martial arts yeah. stuff is. Yeah, it was really, really elegant. Yeah. Because yeah. it's much less about, you know, and in all the other films we're going to talk about, it comes down to like the stunts. Mm-hmm. The plots very rarely matter. It's like, what crazy shit is he going to pull off? But this is like the foundation of all of that is just like two martial artists in sync with each other. And like you said, Hannah, like essentially dancing together. And there's no like really like editing around anything or a lot of these are just like single takes without any quick edits to kind of work around the action. It's just two like really talented people performing with each other. And it's shot at a distance too, like a dance scene would be where you see their entire bodies. You can see it all. So you see like, yeah, everything they're doing. Yeah. And I I think... Like the other three films, he kind he kind of has a similar character. Like he is involved with the police. Or, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess he's kind of like he's always a combatant, but he feels like he's part of some organization in the other films. And in this, it's like he's more of like this hooligan, like flawed person in the beginning who joins with this like really funny, fun, drunken master who has his own like characterization like he's a pleasure to watch on his own too i i think i i enjoyed the story of this the most like i was the most pulled into like this mythological feeling and i think i like kung fu films where each person has their own style in general like it felt like kind of magical even though it was also like absolutely disgusting same yeah like of all the movies we watched like this one i feel had like the most cohesive plot yeah and it it was like enjoyable to watch as like a story that like i liked all the movies but i think this one though there was like growth in the character yeah from beginning to end like you know he learns discipline. He learns discipline, and then there's sort of a goal at the end that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the other three films have a lot of set pieces of, like, this is where we're going to have this fight. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. is, like, we're going to have... And and that was, like, so fun to watch. But this really is more about his journey and less about, like, we're going to have this bombastic fight. Like, the last fight is in a field. You right. Know? right. I, I do think it showcases his charm in a really essential way like his character is doing pretty awful things in here he's stealing from restaurants he's like kind of assaulting women and yet like jackie chan just something radiates from him where he is like incredibly charming it's easy to see why this one made him a star like of yeah. all the yeah. like like the character is on paper unlikable but he like breathes this life into him where you're like oh i can see how that translates to every other movie he's ever done he's just like you just love him when he's on camera he's just a charming fellow and it's the one that most closely resembles his real life like he grew up basically in a peking opera school Mm -hmm. and was just brutally trained all day to hold these like impossible positions as a like a small child with like developing muscles like he's basically trained to be what he is now, just this like martial yeah. arts, like it's acrobatic, became, mm-hmm. you know, What's machine. So bizarre to me is like this storyline reminds me not a hundred percent, but like in real life, he has a son and then he has like a daughter who he like had an affair with his wife and like kind of was like, um, take some money and go away. But his one son, JC, 
got caught with like marijuana or something like that and then he was just like at, at the time that he got caught with that jackie chan was on like this anti-drug board in china and he's like oh yeah i'm done with my son and just was kind of like Whoa. figure it out i'm like dude did drunken master show you nothing <laughs> like it was right? so strange though that in, in real life like I'm like do you not take anything away from this movie because it's sort of the same thing right like you shamed your dad and drunken master and then you went and sort of redeemed yourself i don't know or your yeah, dad I mean, sent you there i i was i read his biography so and like and some of the other movies, his relationship with China and, you know, Hong Kong's independence yeah. comes up in another in Super Cop, which we're going to talk about. But also his like womanizing comes up in some other, you know, that stuff was kind of in the back of my head watching it, like knowing his true life story. But I tried to like push that out my mind and just enjoy it for the pure spectacle well, of it all. And but this was yeah. so directly tied to how he behaved in that Peking opera school though. Like, yeah. Yeah. He was like the class clown, younger mm -hmm. brother type who like the older kids, like Sam Hung, who was like famous before him and they yeah. collaborated a lot later was basically like, at first his bully, but then his like older brother protector type. Cause Jackie Chan would like goof off in class and get extra, penance and like have to like do extra work <laughs> and that happens a bunch of times in this movie all these like masters Didn't are telling him yeah. to like stop goofing off yeah and he can't stop mugging and like cheating on his like uh assignments right and the assignments are abusive in both cases as well like they're like basically torturing these the kids cups yeah I thinking uh, or the yeah. walnut yeah, they like make them hold hot cups of water on their head in these little teacups mm -hmm. so God. if their muscles fail them and they like yeah. fall down then they get well, burned this as well makes sense because i kept thinking like all these movies especially this one i'm like god what is the human body capable of right and how far it past is, am i am from ever achieving anything it is physically close to that impressive to see him just in like if you just squat, he's been training since he was little. If you just apparently. like yeah. get in the squat position, like after about a minute, your body shuts down, and mm -hmm. like <laughs> I know from I've read about it's part of like pro wrestlers training, but also martial arts, where like you just get in that squat position for like an hour, and you're just shaking your butt. Like yeah. it's insane to just watch him do that, and the thing with the cups to just like hang upside down and lift your body weight up. Yeah. And it's just like really impressive. Yeah. Stuff. This is like a great argument for child abuse working. You know, if you do it right. in the right 100%. way, absolutely. you can raise yeah. a really you good can have a You can have a They're going to be so strong. <laughs> right. I will say I also like the martial arts. So elegant, so pleasurable to watch. Um, I also thought this movie was very funny. I would like to watch it. Um, in uh, Cantonese or Mandarin, but the the English translation did create some very funny moments. And then there were some characters that I just thought were like, th there's a guy that just has a really hard head, and he, they call, he's like the Iron Bullet, scene. and he just like <laughs> runs at people with his head, which he kind of looks like those like bullet guys in Mario. I don't know. Yes. I just thought that was very funny. I just like the conceit of or the idea of each person having their refined fighting style that's kind of like it's like a superpower i don't know i just thought it was a whole lot of fun to watch kind of when you said superpower like 
towards like the end where he just kept drinking like barrels right. of wine. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it was like, like he became a superhero a little yeah. bit. Like this is what but him he, as a superhero needs to like do all his. Then cool it wasn't shit. even wine. He was drinking like hard liquor <laughs> right. by the end. Like, he moved true, beyond true. that. I guess my main complaint with this movie is that stuff comes way too late. Like yeah. this movie is very funny and it is very entertaining, but it's also a two hour long comedy, which is rough. And we're like, we don't meet the drunken master until yeah. 40 minutes into a two hour movie. That's true. And then he doesn't actually introduce the drunken master fighting style until 80 minutes into yeah. the movie. I will say I was a little bit like, I was not fully in the movie until we met the drunken master. Right. And I was like, this guy's great. That was a whole lot of fun. And yeah, once he starts doing the drunken style, it's just like... I, yeah, I, I like... My only disappointment came from the fact that I thought the story was going to be like, he is a drunkard that learns kung fu. Oh. Like, because the images of him like staggering and then like fighting and like half drunkenly, like that stuff is extremely entertaining. But yeah, you don't get it until like the last half hour of the movie. And my, my pushback is mostly just that, like y'all were saying, like the story in this is more satisfying than the other ones. And I think you're right, but I don't think I watched these for the story. Yeah. And like the pattern of this, like training and learning discipline with like a master that teaches you all these things without you realizing that you're learning. Mm-hmm. Like that's very standard Kung Fu storytelling. And I mean, this movie probably helped map out what that even looks like. Yeah. But the other ones where it's very stunt focused and location based and like, how do we figure out how to milk the most out of this gag? Or like, how do we use this rolling vehicle in the most dangerous looking way? Like that feels pure Jackie Chan in a way that like no one else was doing exactly what he was doing. And this, it just felt like he was a very charismatic guy who could make something extraordinary out of these like very routine. Yeah. uh, Kung Fu mold. Like, I liked this movie, but it felt like I had seen something like it before. Mm-hmm. Where I'm watching some of the other ones, it was like, no one makes movies like Jackie Chan, you know? Like, yeah. He kind of had his own directorial style and then eventually his own like movie star brand. But I am glad we watched this, though, just because it does feel like the foundation of For everything sure. else. It's Jackie Chan's been here many, many times. Many times. Jackie Chan is just, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with this expression, Jackie Chan is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. (laughs) I know him quite well. The guy's just wacky. He ain't hooked up right. So to me, it seems like the two of you get along. Uh, now, did, did he that talk? That doesn't mean I'm not hooked up right, No, no, okay? I think you're fine. I, believe me, I have nothing but the highest regard for you and your rotating vertebrae. But, um, but is he the, the one that got you into this particular genre? Pardon the no, French there. No, actually, he's a male chauvinistic pig. <laughs> he, yeah. he always That'll says... That'll sell tickets for him, won't it? No, 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 no. Him... Jackie and I are very good friends. I say this to it, you know, mm-hmm. to his face. You know, he always believes that women should stay at home and cook and don't do anything and be the victim and da 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 da. Except for Michelle. Except for Michelle now, he says, because mm-hmm. I would kick his butt. I selected Police Story from 1985. Um, I've been wanting to watch this for a long time. And then I saw, like, for whenever Criterion refreshed its month 
either was the beginning of this month or last month like all these jackie chan movies just Mm -hmm. plopped on i was like this is cool so whenever you selected this as the episode theme i was very pumped (laughs) so there's quite a few police story films it's um i don't know like i think about five or six of them all together and um in this first one jackie chan directed it and he had been directing this isn't the first movie he directed but i only i only think he did like a handful before this movie but yes he he directed it mm-hmm. and stars in it and does his own stunts and it's fucking nuts sings the theme song too and he sings the theme song <laughs> that appears at the end yeah so this is very jackie chan like i'm like if, if i had to pick what movie is the most jackie chan of jackie chan movies i'm vibing with police story so in the, <laughs> he's he's a cop in this movie and, and this is his story. And this is his story. <laughs> so this movie starts off like real hot and heavy where automatically you're introduced to this like Hong Kong police force and they're like we're we have this, you know, mission where we're going to, you know, catch this crime lord, drug lord and there's like a sting operation in this shanty town. And <laughs> they just demolish this entire shanty town with this like sting operation and uh Jackie Chan's character I think like he and his um his like partner in crime from the force I, I don't remember his name and Jackie Chan's character I watched the English dub of this and I watched the subtitles English dub they called him Chan yeah and subtitles it's like kakui kaku i think his name is like kevin chan or something like that like it's very like yeah uh, i couldn't figure it out yeah so chan right um so the whole time they're running through this like village there's like shootouts and it's like you know make sure the citizens aren't harmed <laughs> and oh, they keep God. saying it over over that. Over right. again. I'm like, save the citizens it's the most violent shit like they're shooting throughout like all these little like makeshift homes and then there's a getaway where, like, you know, the crook is in the car in a car, and he's like literally driving through the village and just yeah. tearing apart the homes. Roofs are falling, shits blowing up, and then Jackie Chan is like, "Okay, now I need to chase after him and do the same shit that he's doing." This whole thing gets destroyed, um, and then the cool part is once they get to the bottom of the the hill, which is like an interstate. There's a double decker bus. And, you know, the crime lord and his his crews on the bus and they kind of take the well, they do. They take the bus driver hostage. And then Jackie Chan jumps on the bus with an umbrella and is swinging all over the place and is like hanging on to this umbrella. It's so cool. And that made me so nervous just because, like, you've got the height involved. You have like the traffic involved and this is little this little man just swinging all over the place what blew me away hearing about how they filmed that scene was like they tried it with a real umbrella first and then realized he was going to no, die we need like a steel they got a steel <laughs> umbrella for him yeah i i don't know like so much of this episode is just gonna be like how is he alive right. <laughs> yeah gushing about like that shit was crazy but like that opening part of police story especially when they're driving the cars through the shanty town i'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah. like, and you're like so how is no one hurt and then in the bloopers at the end you're right. like oh tons of people tons of- were hurt yeah. and carried away <laughs> stretchers it's like how is he he was getting his like whole body destroyed but he was also directing the movie at the same time like how 
like how is he healing so quickly? How is quickly? this also thing from like an insurance? Like I know a lot of American <laughs> yeah. movies have like insurance policies. That would never for, happen. You couldn't do that. This right. couldn't happen again. I don't like, probably for good reason. Like right. it's a workplace like hazard. Yeah. <laughs> that is the other difference between Drunken Master and all these other films. Like I would not like I don't know if anybody was hurt in Drunken Master and all three of the other films, the bloopers are people being carried away on yeah. stretchers. He yeah. broke his pelvis in this movie. Yeah. Like what even even like a simple it's not a simple stun or whatever but like on the double decker bus when they slam on the brakes and the villains go crashing out yeah. the glass mm-hmm. and just land on the concrete i'm like ow well they're not faking anything yeah. right, right. Yeah. i'm just like there's no crash pad like i'm just watching men fall from a double decker right. bus onto concrete Onto that's glass. a lot of vitamin d milk that's not <laughs> that's like, that's the difference between this and pro wrestling a little bit is like in wrestling, there's cheats and illusions that make the impact softer than what mm-hmm. it appears to be. But like a lot of the Jackie Chan stunts and special effects are just like him doing it. Like, yeah. If he jumps from a building rooftop to <laughs> he's a doing it. ladder hanging out the helicopter and just like hangs by his hands from the helicopter, he's just actually doing that on uh, film. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So the blooper with him hanging from the helicopter, which we'll talk about in Super cop. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm convinced that he's like handcuffed to it. He's not just no, hanging on. It's like, oh, no, he actually is just hanging on for what? He's, his body is so disciplined. He's like fucking like. Tom- it's not disciplined. He just like goes through the healing process, you know? Well, I think because he's learned how to like, I don't know, like it's all in. On the wrist, it's, it's all on like the angle that you hit things at. Like I don't know, I, I'm I, not a kung fu master. I do think it's very much a Tom Cruise thing, where like if he were to die on camera, I think he would think that's a good what a noble legacy. death, yeah. a yeah. noble death. <laughs> I mean, maybe I like it more for Tom Cruise than for him. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> the plot of this movie, I get it. It's funny, but I don't know if it's purposely funny. So after the whole bus scene's gone. Bad guys are caught, whatever. His, like, higher-ups are kind of pissed at him, but he becomes this, like, celebrity and gets, like, a photo shoot, and he's, like, a household, like, icon, where I didn't understand, like... I think it's kind of... He's, like, one of those loose cannon cops, you know? Like, you're a loose cannon, but you do good work. Right. And And you photograph well. Right. Let's get you on the cover of something. publicity for them to have a huge bust where they bust all these drug dealers or whatever. So... There is a witness where um, one of the first people that gets slapped is this woman. Jackie Chan hits her immediately. <laughs> and, um, oh, I keep forgetting her name. It's um, Selena. So Selena is like a witness and she does not want like his help with anything. She's like, I'm fine. I don't need you to like stand outside my door. I don't need this like protection, blah, blah, blah. But he's so obsessed with being like, I need you to need me. And I'm gonna, and he like hires his friend to like break into her house and like pretend to stab her so that she's sort of like wrong and like admits to being like, I need your protection, which was so bizarre, but yeah, it's pretty funny. fucked up when you think about it. But yeah, it's, it's like fake a home invasion. Yeah, right. Make your job this easier. woman told me no, and I'm gonna <laughs> fake a home invasion. Right. It's still funny. Yeah, the home invasion was kind of funny, especially whenever uh, his friend just keeps getting like his head whacked, and he's like, "No, no, he's fine." And he's like, "Leave, leave," and he's like unconscious, and he's yeah. you know like, fake right. fighting with dancing him. with his unconscious, so body. wild. And so then after that, you know, she's buying all of this, and they escape, and then the crime lord gang 
attacks them in their vehicle and then she's like i don't feel safe and then she goes back to his apartment where it's his birthday and my favorite character in all of these films is may maggie chung she's fabulous yeah a very baby-faced maggie chung like right. she's so young in yeah this. i forgot may. that she's also in in the mood for love yeah yeah yes. she's great well she is his girlfriend and he is the worst partner and the worst <laughs> yes. boyfriend and significant other you can ever have because he does not keep her in the loop with anything and he just i know it's supposed to be funny but i just felt so bad for her where he brings um selena to his apartment he doesn't know that may well they throw the surprise party she gets pissed because she's like you brought a woman she's wearing your jacket she's in lingerie because i guess he didn't tell her about all the shit that was going on throws a cake in his face Everyone leaves and then he's showering and he's like talking about how much like how stupid she is and like not complimenting her. And like Selena's trying to like push him to say something nice about mm-hmm. her because she, she knows that like May's feeling bad. I don't know. I just like I'm like he's horrible. He's so horrible. Not the most likable character in here for me, at least. But I guess it's to to get some laughs. Well, I, I kind of like that he's a little unlikable doofus a in this one. Like. In some of the later films, he's so kind of generic good guy. Yeah. And this one, at least he's like got some flaws, which are played for laughs. Especially in his American, in the American films that I had seen, he's just kind of like a nice Chinese man. And a lot of his personality is like just not being able to speak English very well, but being very um, competent in martial arts and just kind of sweet. So I, I liked that. He was kind of an asshole because kind of a it, I think, and I think it balanced his character because he's extremely good at fighting in this movie. I feel like he basically would have been insufferable if he had been like a perfect guy and also True. a great um, martial artist. Kind of toned him down a little. Yeah, he's I ex- get it. He's extremely good, but also he's not superhuman. Like it's not yeah. like a Schwarzenegger or Stallone character where like he can't get hurt. Yeah, like. Even in his fighting, he's overconfident and gets hurt all the time. Yeah. And I think the movie undercuts his bravado when he's fighting and when he's not. Like, he doesn't get away with lying to people about how cool he is. Like, when he's on the phone faking conversations to, like, show off, every single time he gets caught doing it. And he looks like a fool. He reminds me a little bit of, yeah, like a, just like a doofus. Yeah. He's, like this, he's a kind of a doofus human being, but he's just really good at fighting. He's incredibly confident and the movie makes fun of him for that yeah, a lot, yeah. but also rewards him for it because he looks cool when it but works it, out. But it did kind of remind me of, um, who is it? I think it's The Rock that has like a clause in right. where he can't lose a fight, where essentially he doesn't want to appear weak in any of his films. And I hate that. And I think Jackie Chan is the total antithesis to that. We're mm-hmm. like, no, we root for you because you were human and you get beat up and you like pull yourself up and you continue fighting. In fact, I will show you footage of me getting very hurt in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh Lord. So there's a court case. Selena doesn't show up. So bad guys get out. Right. Um, Jackie Chan's trying to avenge everything. And, They frame him for murdering a cop. He loses his shit. And all of this spirals into the ultimate ending. I kind of feel like all that middle shit doesn't matter. No. What matters is the mall scene. And the last like 20 minutes of this movie is just pure broken glass. But the mall scene has this 
dope ass stunt where he jumps onto this light pole and like goes down. I think he got like second degree burns on his body yep. and his hands. Broke, broke his, his pelvis. 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 And it's Ugh. so badass that they show it three times at three it. different yeah, angles. We're gonna, we're gonna milk it for all yeah. it's worth. Um, and before that too, before he does the big jump, <laughs> I love how he's like, "Hey, like May is there, sweet May, who I love," and he's like, "Go get the files down there." And she like rolls down three flights of stairs, oh, and I'm like, "This poor woman, like, give her a break, man." But yeah, and I think they use like sugar glass for everything and sugar glass is like super thick. So everyone was just getting their ass handed to them. I Yeah, I thought the fight sequences within the mall were probably the most like impressive yeah. fight, like just hand to hand combat. And scenes. the motorcycles any, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. In any amazing. of the Jackie Chan movies we watch, like those like hand to hand combat scenes within the mall of just people throwing themselves through glass and how quick everything was and the choreography was just astonishing. All like, of the like parkour shit. open. And it's like equal opportunity. Like the women are getting thrown down stairs and yeah. through glass. Yes. And then you end with that big climactic stunt. Maggie Chung is like a competent fighter in the martial arts movies where she's yeah. allowed to fight. Yeah, She's kind of a buffoon in these films and isn't given like any room to throw punches. She kind of does in Super Cop too. She gets in a couple fights, but like... In this one especially, she's just like a damsel in distress that he yeah. keeps like saving because she's so goofy and out of the loop. Yeah. But yeah, the escalation of the fighting in that mall. <laughs> it's awesome. And just like after so long, like you get that early spike of adrenaline with the um, bust sequence and the downhill explosions in the opening. Yeah. And then there's this lull for a long time in the middle of the movie. So you're just like waiting for it. Like, right. when is this going to blow up again? But it's, it's just not, basic, like little five minute, like hand fight. Yeah. Every now and then. It's a nice mixture, though, because like you get the big adrenaline hit. And then a lot of it is like comedy stuff yeah. in the middle, which actually does work. Like the pie in the face. It's funny. So uh -huh. it's funny. Uh, so but, many cakes. But yeah, in the back <laughs> of your head, you like you want it so bad. Right. That, and then it hits you so hard in that last 20 minutes. Like. A great setup and a great delivery. And the common way that all these police story movies end, I've only seen three, but I'm assuming the other ones end the same way. It's kind of an abrupt sort of ending where the credits start rolling and you're like, oh, this was it. You want to end on the high. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, yes, it ends on a high note, which I actually liked it a lot. I would and say then, that for like all four movies we watched today, all of them like leave you with like the most spectacular stuff right at the very end that's and then smart. it's just all of the bloopers of like yeah. the stunts and shit and like watching everyone get their bodies wrecked <laughs> it's wonderful i've never seen any film that was quite like this like i think hard-boiled is the only other and it's another hong kong film like full-on action-packed movie that like got me really pumped and i feel like since i've seen that like this is the only comparable thing that i've ever watched yeah, just such a pleasure to see a pane of glass and know that it has seconds to live. I know, someone's going to bust through this. <laughs> it's so funny, like, the more you watch these, by the time we got to the end, anytime I saw a stack of something yeah, or, like, that's going down. anything pristinely, like, neatly set up, you're like, someone's going through that shit. Right. right. <laughs> or a truck that has a bunch of product in the back, right, and right. I'm like, it's about to bust open. <laughs> like, well, not and because I know that... Um, apparently they write the scripts, like, based around the action scenes. Like, I yeah. want to... I want a scene in a mall. So like, how can we work our plot into the mall? And like the plot was written for the environment, but not it's the a, opposite. Like wild. And 
yeah, after watching a few of them, like it would get to a scene where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a setup. Like I know this is gonna be a big fight scene, which is the same approach to storytelling that we talked about when we watched a bunch of Charlie Chan movies. Like he would start with the gags and he'd like pick out an environment. Even even um, Modern Times had that sequence in the department store, very similar to the mall sequence. Yeah, where like it's like, what can we do in each of these rooms? What can I do with that prop? Yeah, and they build the movie outward from there. Uh, and I think that's what makes this more special than maybe the Kung Fu movies he was making before this. Like it felt like its own art style, uh, yeah. even if it was calling back to like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chan, like early uh, silent comedy stuff. Like this is what Hong Kong did special yeah. as an industry was like make these kinds of location specific fight scenes. And this is the one with the pencil scene. Too, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought that that was also very fun. Like, there's this scene where he's in a police station and he's getting like calls on all these different phones and like kind of sliding back and forth between them and getting them all mixed up. And then he has this pencil balancing on a table and he kicks it with his foot and catches it. Like just having little opportunities for that comedic athleticism when it has nothing to do with fighting, I think is really fun. And also like, shows the just the joy of playing physically with your environment apparently they did tons and tons of takes yeah. of that pencil shot <laughs> well, too, which is and, very and funny that, <laughs> and that does go to something we need to talk about with like the studio system there would allow him to like give him free reign essentially to do as many takes as he needed so doesn't he have the guinness world book records for a take something I think the so. most takes for any single shot so money wasn't really an option and he could just like have a whole crew of people to film a scene of me kicking a pencil 30 times <laughs> until we got it right, which is insane. But it's that little moment, those kind of little moments that are so funny and like breathe life into what's essentially like a very generic cop story. But mm-hmm. like, it's those like kind of things that make Jackie Chan movies so fun to watch. I know the fight scenes, especially the ones on the bookends of this would take months and months and months to film. And then everything in between, they would like knock out as quickly as possible. So like, yeah, you feel that in the story, like maybe it is a very generic police story, which you hear in the title, but it's so worth it (laughs) to like stick it through for those kind of didn't care about the story. I just cared about the shit getting blown up and broken. Most of these movies, which is fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I kind of touched on this already, but this was the first film we watched for this topic. And so it was, it was really refreshing to see him have a personality beyond like, I am a nice man and uh-huh. I am from China. Like in rush hour, that is his entire thing. Like it's just constant jokes about him like being from China and like eating rice. And it's like just super racist. And he was like allowed to have a more complex I wouldn't say that there's any really complex characterization in this film, but he was a human being as opposed to like a cipher yeah. for a, yeah. a continent. I a um I was a big like Nickelodeon kid growing up. Like I would get the magazines, I like watched everything Nickelodeon and watch the award shows and like Jackie Chan was so big in the like Nickelodeon world mm-hmm. because he was such this like parent approved like nice action man. 
and like all the movies i had ever seen with him like he was that character like you were just saying like rush hour shanghai noon yeah there's a couple of other ones mr nice guy yeah nice guy um (laughs) but yeah like watching these movies are like holy shit right. he was kind of sassy wasn't yeah. he yeah and it's interesting and th- this is also a big part of police story three but like the actual politics between like china and hong kong yeah you know it's like there is some especially in police story three there's like some actual commentary on that and like he he is from hong kong you know he wasn't like china right is this huge it's it there is like a very complicated relationship he's not just like a chinese guy right which is kind of why we're skipping over police story two which is good i mean it's it's even more generic than the first one but it has a bigger budget so when they blow stuff up the explosions are like 10 times bigger than in the first one it ends at a big fight in a fireworks factory that has one of the biggest explosions i've ever seen on a, on screen Fantastic. it looked very dangerous i, I don't know I how no one died out. <laughs> but we skipped to police story three super cop partially because one of the things that we grew up with was a lot of mismatched buddy comedies with mm-hmm. jackie chan yeah. where he would be thrown in with a partner like chris tucker that just had right. from, was from a different cultural backdrop um in this one it's the same vibe uh he is paired with michelle yo who is like Chinese Communist Party representative, like, toes the state line, very strict and by the rules. And he's, like, a Hong Kong cop who has more freedom and, like, the cavalier kind of attitude where it's, like, more individualistic and less about the people as a whole, you know? Um, In the movie, he goes undercover in China, like, mainland China with Michelle Yeoh. Like, the two cops from the two different governments are putting their differences behind them so they can like go undercover and bust this like drug ring. And I think there are a lot of things that are like worth looking at this movie for. One, Jackie Chan stopped directing his own movies around this time. Mm-hmm. Like I think he had established what he wanted out of his career by now and he's like, "Okay, this is how we can make movies like this. This is how we can build a film around the stunts and make it marketable on like an international level." Uh, and then around this time is when Stanley Tong took over mm-hmm. his star vehicles, which the next two movies we're going to talk about are directed by the same guy. Um, and he's got a slicker, like Hollywood friendly directorial style. And I, I feel like you feel it in Supercop already. Yeah. And it feels like a more traditional action movie. Yeah. Like instead of starting with that scrappy um, downhill explosions race that you see at the beginning of Police Story 1, Police Story 3 starts with a standard buddy cop storyline and kind of builds to its spectacle. And then in the last 20 minutes, like completely just let's go the handlebars and things get very insane and like dangerous looking. Um, I also wanted to talk about this though, because recently I've been interested in Michelle Yeoh's career. She had her own criterion channel. Yeah. uh, Retrospective recently uh, after everything everywhere all at once, a role that was actually offered to Jackie Chan before her. Like the movie was supposed to be about him and he turned it down and they reworked it as a Michelle Yeoh vehicle, which is, yeah, it would have been a completely different kind of movie. Yeah. But they're also professional friends and have been like working together for a long time. And I'd never seen them work together on screen, which is why I wanted to pick this movie. She describes in interviews that like, he's kind of a chauvinist when it comes to letting women fight on camera. And like, 
he prefers the women in his movies to be the Maggie Chung character in these police story movies where they get saved by him and like don't get their hands dirty like fighting and getting beaten up. But Michelle Yeoh is such a like stubborn, strong-willed person that like she fights for her right to like kick throw ass. punches alongside <laughs> yeah. him. She says kick butt a lot in interviews. Like she wants to kick butt as good as the boys. And I think their competitive natures in this film shine where like they were pushing each other to do bigger and bigger stunts to sort of like out bravado each other. Yeah. Which kind of culminates at the end with the aforementioned stunt where Jackie Chan jumps off of a building onto a helicopter ladder and dangles from it. Jesus Christ. And then Michelle Yeoh likewise uh, jumps a motorcycle onto a running train. Yeah. Which you think when you're watching it like they must have cut around some sort of like special effect and then in the blooper reel they show her doing it over and over again and like almost dying yeah that blew because i was like there's no way either that's not her right or there was some work around i thought that was a stunt double and i'm like holy shit shit, she actually did that it seemed like the only kind of protection was they just piled a bunch of cardboard boxes (laughs) right the train to like you know (laughs) right oh i'll be totally fine my god yeah you're Bones will still break, but maybe you'll have less abrasions on your skin. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it's like a pretty standard undercover buddy cop comedy where there's a lot of cultural differences. I guess as Americans, like knowing the difference between Communist Party China, like mainland politics versus like Hong Kong politics, that's kind of a gray area for like Westerners to like understand the humor of like yeah. one character versus the yeah. other. It's not as easily recognizable as the rush hour dynamic. Right. But the movie like gets it across, I think, pretty clearly. And what's really exciting is like watching them fight side by side and try to outcompete each other. And then how that translates to their real life dynamic. And especially by the end, like she recreates his stunt from the first police story where he hangs off of the bus with the umbrella. Yeah. She does it backwards. And like basically holding by the claws of her hands on the vehicle and makes it more dangerous to be like, yeah, I can do what you do and one up you. And I feel like there's that energy the whole time they're trying to one up each other. And then by the end, it's just like unfathomable that this was filmed. (laughs) Yeah. Two of the biggest stars in the world risking death for your entertainment. Not one of y'all not die. Right. (laughs) And that is their energy as the characters too. Like they're constantly kind of like, bickering but almost in a flirtatious way or if not flirtatious like a way that is uh kind of like a it's a friendly competition between them which is funny with the title like both governments are like we need a super cop to you know win this war on drugs for us and you never really know which one of them is supposed to be the super cop. Like yeah, they both I, are. Mm-hmm. Together, they're the super cop. But yeah. they're competing for the title, you know? They were, like, competitive, but they had such, like, good competitive chemistry. They did have yeah. good chemistry. That little moment where she, like, falls onto him and is still, like, shooting her right. gun. Oh, that's a good bit of business. Like, the villains strap a bulletproof vest to her. So he thinks that she can take bullets that he can't. So he's like cowering behind her. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she knows that the vest has been switched out with explosives. explosives. Right. So if she catches a bullet. Both of them will die. So they both keep like cowering behind each other while in this like balletic gunfight. Yeah. It's very funny physical comedy. And that, that scene, t- I mean, the last like 20 minutes or so are just so bonkers. But there's also like a shootout scene at the drug dealers like den or whatever. And it. Holy God, like, 
I know like American movies, we love guns and explosions, but this was like that on steroids, like so much machine fire and large explosions were like, even my American centric action movie brain was like, damn, that's a lot. Was that where like no crotch is safe? (laughs) <laughs> in these movies and right. didn't a woman get like kicked in the crotch I think Michelle yeah. Yeo kicks the lady in yeah, the crotch yeah, yeah. I think it was like around yeah. that scene where I'm like oh my god all crotches are at risk yeah I, f- I felt like the villains <laughs> in police story or the fights in police story were almost felt a little like cartoonishly evil it was like they were evil but it was also kind of fun like ah ha ha right and then that scene was like oh dear god like people are just absolutely being murdered violently (laughs) right (laughs) it was very violent There's also that blooper where uh, he is supposed to land on top of her and he lands on top of her with his palm catching his body weight on her crotch and she like punches him after it happens uh, and they're both laughing about it. Yeah. <laughs> so no one's crotches were safe. That's right. Uh, safe in crotch. film or after. Yeah. I don't really have much to say about this movie. It's like a good bridge, I think, between the sort of scrappier yeah. police story, like the, the original police story style of filmmaking. But it has more of like a Hollywood slick production yeah. value to it. Yes. Like what felt very Hollywood for me, set up for Love May. Is when they go to that resort and the whole like pool scene that mm-hmm. goes on for like a really long time, yeah. like felt very like Hollywood to me and like scripted, like the two girls. And Maggie Chung's like blowing their cover. Yeah. Because he's a horrible boyfriend, yeah. like doesn't tell her anything. I'm like, why wouldn't you know that he's right. doing this? Well, but he also can't tell her that he's doing this like undercover, you like, know. <sighs> Like, if you want to watch a her. fun movie where those two work together, uh, Maggie Chung and Michelle Yeoh are in a superhero movie called The Heroic Trio. Oh, that's and they're cool. Both very good. I in love it. both of them in yeah. here. Yeah. But yeah, like that was like funny where it's like, oh, they're prostitutes. He, he, he. And then the whole like Polaroid photo stuff and oh, like yeah. the massage on the chair. Like, I don't know. I thought it was really funny. A and series it felt, of misunderstandings. Yeah, exactly. If, and that Freeze felt company very shit. Hollywood. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Super Cop is the perfect, I think we picked a good crop of movies yeah. actually. Just a chartist trajectory. Because I do think Rumble in the Bronx, which was my pick, that's where you get full Hollywood. Cause this was like, he had made a few attempts to like break into the Hollywood the American scene, it didn't quite happen. He kind of returned to Hong Kong, you know, reestablished himself. And then Rumble in the Bronx was his big, like, American breakout hit. But it's still directed by a Hong Kong director. And, like... It is, I yeah. think it holds on to the Hong Kong sensibility before losing him yeah. to the Hollywood machine, you know? It's like the final... It's like three quarters of the way right. out the door. But, um, so Rumble in the Bronx, like, again, pretty basic plot of, you know, he's staying with his uncle who has sold this convenience store. And there's this group of bikers, um, right. very cartoonish bikers. Felt like <laughs> a Ninja Turtle right. which, gang or yeah, something. Which yeah. I love the portrayal of, first of all, this film was shot in Canada. It wasn't shot in New York. <laughs> they don't have mountains in the Bronx, James. Right. <laughs> and also it's like these villains, like the way it portrays, the Bronx is like a total hellhole. Y'all act like you've never met street punks before. This is just your yeah. standard issue street punks. Not still these, in like, Canada. No, no, I've never seen The Warriors, and I really want to see it. But that was the vibe. It was similar. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like post-apocalyptic. Yeah, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, like. But very... I love that idea that like New York is already post-apocalyptic, right. especially the Bronx. 
And um, so he gets into it with these biker gang people. Um, and, you know, it turns out that there's even bigger villains in them. There's this whole plot later about this diamond heist gone wrong and they hide the diamonds and his uh, nephews, who's a paraplegic in his wheelchair <laughs> cushion. Danny. It doesn't matter. Has like, that kid won an Oscar yet? Do you think he's like gotten there? The, the dub. <laughs> just getting thrown the around The dub everywhere. in this movie was so his character especially was awful. Yeah. The dub for him. I laughed every time he oh, did a line reading. Time so too. funny. <laughs> so bad though. Like, But this is very much like, you know, it has American sensibilities, I think, but the action in this still feels like the Hong Kong. This is the first Jackie Chan that I actually watched when I was a kid. I think so too, because I feel like I saw it on broadcast TV as a kid. Yeah, and it came out in 95, so it would have been about like nine, 10 years old. But even before Rush Hour, I remember just with the shopping cart. Like there's a scene where mm-hmm. they're in the thug's lair and he does these stunts with like a shopping cart, a refrigerator. Yeah. And in my like nine year old brain, that was the coolest shit to me. Like, and watching it again, I was still like giddy. Um, I had totally forgotten about all the hovercraft stuff that happens later. Insane. Which is insane (laughs) and very funny and slapstick in a way. But like the iconic part of this to me is that like that fight where he's, throwing people in refrigerators and then he's jumping through shopping carts it's and getting completely run over by pinball machines that people are pushing. Pinball machines. Pinball yeah, machines. And like, the, like he's so throws, well orchestrated. Yeah. Yeah. And he throws a, like a guy on a pinball machine and just like, looks like his back breaks. Oh yeah. I'm like, it's that oh. wrestling thing where like someone gets on the edge of the ring and it's like yeah. the nastiest place you could land. Oh, just like, Oh yeah. Sick. I like, Oh, I screamed. Mar- I marked out <laughs> so hard for that. But so this is like a really good kind of, I think why it was so successful. It has kind of American sensibilities, but it is showing to an American audience why Jackie Chan is so, so lovable. And it's showing off. I mean, I think he was almost 40 when this movie was made. So it's getting into the yeah, middle. Drunken Master was almost 20 years before this. It's yeah. Nuts. So he's like, I don't want to, I mean. His body was still serving. We're approaching 40. <laughs> I can't imagine doing this when I'm 40. I'm not taking a spot on the edge of a fucking pinball machine at and this he, age. <laughs> he has another great stunt where he jumps like off of a building to another building, two stories below. And I, he broke his ankle. Apparently in the rest of the film, they show it in the bloopers, but they had to craft this like fake shoe fake sneaker to go over the cast so <laughs> all the stuff we see in the later part of the movie he like he had, had a cast, cast on his yeah. foot insanity Jesus. what a yeah. machine um <laughs> but just him doing this stuff at 40 is crazy to me so you get a lot of the hand-to-hand combat stuff you do get the big kind of ridiculous silly hovercraft scene at the end it has like well bro- explain the hovercraft scene i mean come on so <laughs> <laughs> explain the hovercraft scene <laughs> what happens with the hovercraft so basically these diamond villains uh, are tra- <laughs> they're, they're so silly too like oh this like- is like after he stopped warring with the punks he like decides to join the he punks. joins with the punks he's like in with the punks now which is very cool and the real villains are these like white wall street Fake diamond punk. and anyway they steal a hovercraft to get away and obviously first it starts on sea and then we end up on the beach 
where we're running over people <laughs> like Looney Tunes style. <laughs> and uh, then it gets into the actual streets of New York, quote unquote. But it's like, there's a great scene where Jackie gets into a Lamborghini. He goes into like a rare antique store. He's like, how can I stop this hovercraft? And he gets a giant sword. So yeah, cool. Like it's a like a big like razor blade. <laughs> yeah. And he gets in the Lamborghini with the like razor blade sword hanging out the side. It's like an Akira stunt. Yeah. Yeah, and he just cuts into the hovercraft and deflates it. After he peels the doors off of the Lamborghini. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great scene where he like backs under a truck and <laughs> yes. knocks it. Yeah, and then he deflates so it. Good. And the movie ends like really zany, slapstick, where the cops just kind of let him go after. They duct tape the, uh, the yeah. villain and the, yeah, they, the hovercraft back together. Yeah, they duct tape it back together and him and the punks go to where the the guy is golfing and just run him over with yeah. the hovercraft and then he's like ass is hanging right, out. Right, his clothes get torn and the off. Movie, <laughs> The movie just sort of ends on them, just his, like his red ass. Wasn't that fun? We had a great. Uh, so we had fun. I love how have... cartoony <laughs> this yeah. whole movie. This is. one it's especially awesome. is like I really like this one because it's so zany and cartoony, and like such a like <laughs> again, it brought back that feeling of being nine or ten, and just like I love this how zany and. Over the top, it was like the villains and the overdub actually helps a lot. I think everyone's like phonetically reading their lines as fast as possible to get them over with. It feels like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people are just reading lines at each other at like top speed. And there, there's another great scene that kind of harken back to the um, the shanty town scene and police story where the oh the villains show up like. First of all, this convenience store, first it gets <laughs> looted by these punks. They just destroy it. And the port, the shop owner, she's a lovable character mm-hmm. in this. Just like, just wants to run this convenience store and it just keeps getting demolished. So she gets it remodeled. And then the like diamond villains show up. And as a fuck you to Jackie Chan, they just like attach some hooks to it and just rip the whole facade off. And in a very like kind of Chaplin sort of gag, the owner is like sitting on the toilet as the whole artifice is ripped out and uh, just really zany over the top stuff with still that Hong Kong action, you know, hand to hand combat stuff. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I thought this one is like very fun and I could see why it was a good introduction for american audiences to jackie chan's whole thing that like grocery store every time there was a scene i got so nervous i know because like well first of all the punk gang steals like 20 candy bars and jackie chan destroys probably like thousands of dollars stock (laughs) right and everything that was stacked i'm like oh god i knew it when i saw the pepsi can yeah there's a tower of pepsi (laughs) like i kept like trying to guess like it's like these little things were planted for us to be like oh shit something's gonna happen with that like the grocery store and then the um the clown man with like the bouncy ball truck. Oh yeah. Oh, great gag. Yeah. I ca- I kept thinking of him as like a prop comic in this. Like he's Maybe. like carrot top. I couldn't and he kicks figure ass. out what that man was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put but it. But what yeah. a great job. Yeah. It so, uh, it, it honestly made me balls. kind of like sad thinking back of like watching Rush Hour and how that so pales in comparison to this stuff. 
and that's what I think most mainstream like American audiences know him for yeah. is like Shanghai Noon Rush Hour Tuxedo Kung Fu Panda Kung, Kung Fu, Fu yeah Panda. it's just like I get it like obviously he had put a lot of miles on his body and couldn't do the things that he could do but um there was a period in the like mid to late nineties where he had this and super cop was actually re-released in America after rumble in the Bronx. And then you got like, remember like first strike and a few others that were still like a Jackie Chan kind of movie. But then it, after rush hour, it pretty much never went back. I mean, part of that is the industry that allowed for him to be Jackie Chan disappeared. Because when mainland China absorbed Hong Kong again, like that whole industry dried up and all the directors like Sammo Hung and Choi Hawk and even Jackie Chan himself are basically making propaganda for the state now. Yeah. Because yeah. that's like the only way you can make films they got in the absorbed. Industry. And like the movies are just less interesting now uh, yeah. across the board. I'm going to be real. Like this is my favorite movie we watched today. <laughs> I like. It's good. I think there are higher highs in the two police story movies. I agree. But this movie does not let any five minutes go by without some kind of action scene. Or something being entertaining, whether it's like comedy or action. Yeah. The propulsion of this movie is just nonstop entertainment, just beating your head into like delirium, where like by the end, I was just so giddy. I was just laughing and screaming (laughs) at every little thing that happened. Um, And by the time it ended on the golf course with all of his new friends cheering him on as he ran over the villain with the hovercraft, it was just like, what a silly film. Like, it was just like everything was for the gag. Everything was trying to make the most entertaining moment they could out of the funds that they had. And it just felt like, you know, the perfect time in his career. Uh, And I guess maybe part of that, just knowing what was lost immediately after, like, maybe cherish this more. But yeah. Yeah. And I it had the moment that felt you know all of these films are dealing with injustice in one way or another and Mm -hmm. the injustice of that convenience store scene is so palpable like just all these people destroying this woman's inventory and that it's like that made me like the maddest out of anything and then there are also you know jackie chan is just put through the ringer constantly in all of these films but that there's a scene where these punks like after he has kind of run them out of the convenience store the first time they're after him and he they they lead him into this alleyway and they're just throwing bottles at him and he's trying to um he's trying to evade them but they're like getting his neck and he's bleeding and he's covered in like whatever is in those bot and it's that was like one of the most brutal scenes to me in all of these films like really like he's so helpless and it's so violent and like and just scary he's covered in glass he collapses on the glass that happened nowhere else like he got like bloody and like to the point where he was like almost unconscious. Yeah, like, didn't happen in any other, any other movie we saw. Yeah, it's very much like uh, future Jackie Chan character Splinter in the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. He's <laughs> oh <my laughs> tied yeah. up on the uh, chain link yeah. fence in Shredder's lair. And <laughs> and I think my favorite parts of this of Rumble in the Bronx were the like close to home, like those kind of intimate struggles with the punks. And I wasn't as interested in like the Diamond Heist stuff as much. Um, but I think it had like 
one of the most interesting aesthetics and like one of the most compelling like small scale well, stories. One thing I did not care for watching Rumble, and I think this is the coming over to America was like his you know love interest. Like he has to be the like leading man type. Like he falls in love with uh, one of the gangsters. And it's like Danny's sister, Danny's sister, with the fake like, diamonds. Oh, I don't, I, Jackie, come, like it's funny though because it's like such a generic like action movie plot. Yeah, the same as the nameless goons that he fights. Yeah, in two different waves. Like he fights one wave of nameless goons in the uh, punks, and then like he joins forces with them with this like really half-assed like can't we all just get along speech, <laughs> right. right? And then there's another wave of wave of nameless goons after that, and the diamond heist guys who are basically like. I know this term has been thrown around a lot by like really unsavory people, but like NPCs from video games, like they're kind of just like background, like flavorless, like yeah. um, pony, pony featureless I do, characters. I do like that he joins with the punks to go against like the actual rich white guys yeah, right. that Fun. are like those are the actual villains, but none of them have distinct personalities no. at all. Besides the one that he has to like smooch on sometimes. The the only other thing I critique with this that I noticed just watching the fight scenes is. I I know from reading like in police story, he used like the same people like other stunt men to like do the choreography with in every single film. So they had this like kind of camaraderie and they had a certain like rhythm to their fighting. It's a little different in this one when he's fighting the punks. It seems like it's moving a hair slower. Like I don't know if it's age or it's just he didn't have his normal crew of people but it didn't feel quite as frenetic like when they're fighting in the mall in police story it's like they're one organism like this one it didn't feel that way but again it's still extremely entertaining the technical skill of like drunken master is long gone by this it's like a little more kind of what you would expect out of a hollywood movie where like you know schwarzenegger throwing punches and then like the person he hits like jumping a half second too late it's got a little bit of that to it Mm -hmm. But that's like the way his films are typically like edited and stuff. It's like it shows you the action. Like right. so many modern action movies, like it cuts like on the hit where you don't even see the hit. Like this is still in that traditional Jackie Chan sure. way, but maybe flirting a l- little bit more with like the American way of editing an action film. My enthusiasm for it is like entirely just the fact that there's no dead air. Yeah, like, it's just Pure constant, and I I do feel like there's some dead air in all of the other ones mm-hmm. uh, where they build to like the scenes that torch the entire budget and then leave them with like runtime to fill. This one is like every scene there's something to like excite your eye. Yeah, I I liked every single one of these oh, movies. Uh, yeah, this was a pure pleasure. And I would agree that the highs of police the police story movies are really high. Yeah, probably the highest you'll ever get in any action movie because I don't see them recreating that stuff ever again i mean Brittany name dropped a john woo film earlier uh hard-boiled which is pretty on par i I mean you watch enough hong kong movies and everyone feels like that you're like oh my god this is like like i can't action cinema perfected (laughs) yeah Yeah. we just watched (laughs) um recently it was michelle yo and cynthia rothrock uh yes madam Uh, and it had a similar like propulsive energy to it and uh 
one of the like better gags from Supercop is Michelle Yeoh kicking someone from behind her own head. Mm-hmm. Like her leg goes entirely Very backwards. Cool. Great stuff. And she does that twice in Yes, Madam. And I remember thinking like watching Yes, Madam, like, oh, that was like some interesting editing. They made it look like she kicked someone from behind her own body. And then they do it a second time. Like, oh, she can just do that. <laughs> uh, wow. It was just an industry that was like, had the perfect amount of technical skill and freedom to do whatever they wanted. And the only industry I can name right now that's on par is like the South Indian action movies, yeah. like RRR. Yeah. Are entertaining, but they're not as tactile. Yeah. Like those are like pushing what you can do with CGI yeah, and it's explosions. It's really artificial right. um, in a way. Yeah. And I don't really, I know you liked Mission Impossible. I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of like modern action, like American action movies don't really get me excited. I mean, I did really like the new Mission Impossible movie. And watching it, there's a scene that they advertised very heavily uh, before the movie came out where Tom Cruise jumps off of a cliff on a motorcycle and then paraglides onto a train. And he did that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. But did, watching Michelle Yeoh do the same thing 30 years ago and jumping the motorcycle directly onto the train and landing that gag, I, like right. it's like, what's even the point of Tom Cruise doing it? It's, yeah. it's already well, been perfected. Because he wants to die on camera. Well, yeah. I I watched a, like him doing takes of that scene, and he does a perfect take, and he's like, you know what? I could have like waited a little longer to uh, open the parachute, so let's do it again. It's just like, dude. It sounds like his thetan count is out of balance. He seems like, oh, go get cleared again. He just yeah. grosses me out so much. Oh, I don't think sure. I yeah, watch they, those. These movies were all like uh, very exhilarating. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Well, next week on the show, we're going to watch a movie that Brittany recommended a very long time ago called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boomer picked it for the next episode. Oh, wonderful. And it reminded me a lot of Ennis Main in a way. And I think I might bring Ennis Main up on the show soon. Ooh. Yeah. But it's got a lot of psychedelic, like, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown, early 70s horror vibe to it. Cool. So we're getting back to horror. We're getting back to our horror roots. It's been a little while. No more action. (laughs) We're through with action. Yeah, we're done with that area of the video store. (laughs) We're going back to where we're comfortable. Oh, sir, when's your